0: Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Hi, my name is Jack Rickard, and the title of my talk is Integrated Care for the Heart Failure Device Patient at the CRT-CHF Clinic. So in this talk, I'm going to be talking about a novel multidisciplinary clinic that was started at the Cleveland Clinic approximately three years ago. So. In our CRT population, we identified a major gap in care, and that is oftentimes patients, once they got CRT, weren't getting optimized care across the board. So we decided to create a clinic where patients would be seen by a heart failure physician and an electrophysiologist at the sa- in the same room at the same time, approximately six months post-implant. And at that visit, uh, medications and the device would be optimized, to, make, to, to basically standardize how patients are receiving care after their CRT device. And uh, these are my disclosures. So one thing you'll notice when you look at the professional society guidelines is that they, none of them mention what to do with patients after they get CRT devices. All the guidelines do a very good job at telling us who we should implant a CRT device in basically mirroring the results of large-scale clinical trials. However, you know because the guidelines are silent on what to do after implants, care has been fragmented uh, really worldwide, such that some patients get an echocardiogram in six months, some pe- patients never get an echocardiogram afterwards, some patients never see a heart failure doctor. Um, these are some of the sickest patients in cardiology, yet we're not standardizing their care, we're not delivering the care that they, they need after their implant. I don't want to say they're forgotten about, but they're they're certainly not um, scrutinized over to the same degree they were prior to implant. So why should we care about how patients do after CRT implant? Well, if I told you that you are a quote-unquote non-responder to CRT, and in this way we'll define non-responder as someone whose ejection fraction has either stayed the same or gotten worse, You may not, you know, the average person may not get too excited about that. However, if I told you you had renal cell cancer in the UK, that would probably get you more concerned, yet the two populations have the same survival. Uh, And not only that, the higher we can get the ejection fraction, even if you benefited from CRT, there seems to be a dose response such that uh, the better the ejection fraction, the better survival is. So we should really be trying to you know, pay attention to how you know trying to get that ejection fraction as high as possible post CRT, as that seems to be correlating with uh, long term outcomes. In 2020, we are starting to think about how patients do after CRT differently. You know, there have been over 13,000 papers written on "quote unquote" CRT response, uh, dichotomizing the phenotype of uh, post CRT patients into responder versus non-responder. But now in 2020 we really believe that there are probably five different things that can happen to a CRT patient. Number one is the super responder, that's the female non-ischemic who has this dramatic improvement in ejection fraction. Then there's the responder that could be an ischemic who has a big left bundle and ejection fraction goes up by 10 10 points, 10%. But now we think there are three other phenotypes. This idea of a non-progressor, someone who is progressively dilated out for years. You give them the CRT device, and at six months, their rejection pressure may not have improved significantly, but you seem to have blunted the process of remodeling. So those patients clearly have benefit from CRT. Then you've got the, the, the true non-responder. This is probably the rarest of the, of the population where you know the patient neither gets better nor worse. They continue the same downhill trajectory despite CRT. And finally, the negative responder. It's being recognized that in a small percentage of patients, CRT can actually induce harm. These typically are your non-left bundle branch block patients, potentially coupled with a poor lead position that can lead to actual harm from CRT. You know, one of the things that when we first started this clinic that was really surprising to our heart failure doctors was that, you know, the CRT can cause harm if not delivered to the right patient in the appropriate way. So when we see a patient in, in our clinic, we really try to put them into one of three buckets. Um, you know, you've got, on one hand, patients with pure LV electrical conduction delay. That's your female non-ischemic, big wide left bundle branch block. Those patients are going to have an enormous response to CRT. On the other hand, you've got patients with a wide QRS that is just due to myocardial disease, potentially a, a large LV mass and that is your you know your big ischemic cardiomyopathy, giant lv could have an ivcd pattern of 140 milliseconds those patients are the least likely to respond and then everything in the middle so when we see a patient in our clinic we, f- we try to put what the substrate is into one of these three buckets because that can kind of temper your enthusiasm to how likely or not they are to benefit from the therapy so what are the reasons for for patients not doing quite as well with CRT as we would have expected? Well, in 2010, the thought was that suboptimal AV timing was the biggest issue, meaning that you know, your AV delays weren't optimized. And that was thought to be responsible for the majority of patients not doing well with CRT. And you've got arrhythmias, anemia was cited as a major reason, uh, poor lead position, suboptimal amounts of uh, biventricular pacing that kind of goes along with arrhythmias, suboptimal medical therapy, Persistent mechanical dyssynchrony. that was back when mechanical dyssynchrony was still really emphasized. Underlying narrow QRS, clearly, compliance issues and primary RV dysfunction. But you know, that's what how things looked in 2010. Since 2010, we've learned a lot about CRT, and we in our clinic we've learned that this may not be representative of what the reasons behind poor response to CRT are in 2020. 2020 we really believe these five factors are the biggest reasons why some patients don't do well with CRT so poor electrical substrate clearly non left bundle branch block patterns such as a right bundle branch block or an IVCD uh, do much worse than either a paste pattern or a left bundle branch block so LV lead position what we figured out is that clearly we want to get the uh, lead as far away from the septum as possible. We want a lateral location. Could be anterolateral. We try to avoid the middle cardiac vein, which parallels the PDA in the posterior part of the heart, as that's not septal. It's not a lateral location, excuse me. Um, similarly, we try to avoid the great cardiac vein, which is in uh, the, on the anterior surface of the heart, paralleling the LAD. That's also a poor lead position. It's not very septal. Low percentage of biventricular pacing. Very important. Uh, Advanced or end-stage myocardial disease, you know, is there a point of no return? We believe that, you know, when your LV dilates out to eight and a half centimeters, you're unlikely to benefit from CRT. And lastly, frailty, that's an emerging factor. It seems that certain patients are just, who have meet criteria for frailty, clearly don't benefit from CRT for uh, reasons that are not quite clear. So when we looked at what the percentages were for the various reasons behind non-response in our CRT clinic where we've seen over 300 patients, we found that poor electrical substrate was a major reason behind CRT non-response, meaning your non-left bundle branch blocks your narrower kind of IVCD patterns. Number two, however, was a severe cardiomyopathy with extensive scar. There are patients whose LV is so dilated and scarred up that it's past the point of CRT um as the points of, of significant mitigation with CRT. In frailty, poor lead position, um, significant arrhythmia burden. Um, we found that a slight, you know, some patients with uncorrected valve or inf- infiltrated diseases, or you know, clearly a poor uh, medical regimen or LV lead malfunction, those were all lesser reasons. One thing we noticed is that oftentimes patients had multiple reasons for non-response. So this issue of a lack of standardized care for the CRT patient is important. This is a paper published in Jack recently by my colleague, Milt Raj Varma, where they looked at how patients were treated if they were deemed to be a CRT responder versus non-responder. And uh, what they found was that responders and non-responders really weren't treated any differently, meaning that once even patients who were diagnosed as not doing well with CRT, they didn't receive really any more intensified care than a traditional CRT responder. Uh, And this clearly is a problem in our eyes. So what is a Cleveland Clinic approach to this problem? The first large scale CRT clinic was at the Cleveland Clinic in 2010. This is a clinic where patients would be referred in for lack of response, and a multidisciplinary team would troubleshoot and try to optimize care. Two years later, the START clinic was formed at MGH with Jameet Singh, where uh, that was a care pathway approach. Every single patient who got a CRT device was systematically uh, seen in the clinic at uh, multiple times, actually, in the first six months post-implant in hopes of trying to optimize uh, care and improve outcomes. So the referral-based and care pathway types of CRT clinics have certain pros and cons. In the referral-based clinic, you can achieve them with limited resources and time constraints. The problem is you miss a lot of potential non-responders because they're never referred to you, as well as you often get these patients well past the time where you could have done something for them. Now the care pathway uh, approach is advantageous because it catches all non-responders. You also also have the opportunity to uh, take a responder, maybe even make them a super responder and you're clearly identifying patients earlier in the disease process before they've kind of dropped off a cliff. The main con of this approach can be resource and time con- intensive, but our clinic was designed uh, not just to start a interesting little CRT clinic at Cleveland Clinic, but we really tried to divine al- define, uh, develop an algorithm that can be used across multiple different, um, in multiple different care settings. Uh, the goal of our clinic was really to Establish a type of model of care that can be replicated throughout the country. So, does a care pathway actually improve outcomes? Well, when they did this at MGH, showed that uh, you know standardizing care for all CRT patients postoperatively resulted in a significant improvement in event uh, in heart failure-free survival out to two years, which was uh, fairly impressive. So at the Cleveland Clinic, this is how uh, we run our uh, CRT clinic. So patients uh, get their device and they actually start hearing about the clinic prior to device implant uh, from the implanting physician. (coughs) And about six months after uh, is when the patients see us in clinic. And so the patients all have an echocardiogram uh, before they see us. Then they come to our clinic, and uh, a nurse checks them in and performs a six-minute Hall-Walk test and a battery of neurocognitive tests, um, as well as things like a get-up-and-go time, a hand grip strength test. We're basically looking for um, mild dementia. We're looking for indices of frailty. While that's going on, myself and the heart failure physician uh, reads up on the patient. We look at the CS venogram from the case. We look at x-rays. Uh, we look at all the details of the patient's past history, their medications. Then uh, we review the data from the nurse and then we all of us go into the room. The heart for doctor starts off with a full interrogation of the patient and uh, a physical exam, same time while I'm doing a device check, which uh, is a basic device check. Um, With a couple additions, we make sure to get the pacing thresholds and the diaphragm status on all the pacing vectors. We look for whether multi point pacing is on or off. Uh, We look to see if fusion pacing is on or off. We calculate QLV. Then, after all that, we step out of the room and all of us huddle and we come up with an individualized plan. The patient's doing great. That's great. They go on their merry way. The patient's not doing well. They get, uh, like I said, an individualized plan on where we think the patient needs to go from here, whether that's device optimization, we sometimes try to narrow down the QRS by changing vectors. Sometimes we send them for an LV mechanics echo to see if the lead is in the, left, in the latest activated uh, spot in the heart. Uh, we, oftentimes we improve, uh, we try to uh, maximize their medication regimen. We send them to a heart failure pharmacist and if they're really sick, they can get PA pressure monitoring referrals, metabolic stress testing, or onboarding to heart transplant or LVAD evaluations. So when you break down the common therapies we do for these patients into the reasons behind CRT uh, lack of response, you know, for poor electrical substrate, you may try fusion pacing, you may turn off the LE lead. It's possible CRT is just not for this patient. We could try multi-point pacing. Optimal lead, suboptimal lead position, um, you can change the pacing vector, you can take them back to the lab to try to find a better spot. Low percentage of body pacing, manage AFib maybe through ablation or medications, or PVC management. And then advanced heart failure, uh, you know, optimizing guideline direct to medical therapy, uh, sending to a heart failure clinic, uh, cardio MIMS, PA pressure monitoring, or initiating evaluation for LVAD. So what are the tips to establishing a CRT clinic? You really have to create a multidisciplinary team that works well together, that was successful for us at Cleveland Clinic. You gotta involve your colleagues. We're not trying to become the heart failure and electrophysiologist for the entire Cleveland Clinic. You have to convince patients you're not trying to steal patients. This is just a, a new way of how we're doing things. And then we send the patients right back to their physicians. I'm not gonna get into this for in this talk, but explain the value proposition to the hospital administration. We believe this is cost-effective. It takes some complex scheduling, so you have to engage your schedulers early. And then you really want to tailor your clinic based on available resources and time constraints. This is not something you need to do every single single week. You do it once a month, we do it twice a month at the Cleveland Clinic. So if you'd like to learn more about our clinic and how it was designed and how it could be replicated in your own practice, the design paper is published in this reference encourage you to take a look at this if you're interested in starting one of these at your own home institution. In summary, patients undergoing CRT represent a severely comorbid population with heterogeneous electrical substrates and multiple possible outcomes following device implant. And we would argue that current models of care are not suited to provide adequate follow-up care for this population. We strongly believe multidisciplinary care can improve outcomes in CRT patients. We are looking for partners around the country to join us in this movement in creating these clinics. We would be happy uh, to become uh, sister sites with you If you decide to go this route, you can email me or uh, any one of us at the Cleveland Clinic and get you my contact information to discuss this further. We'd love to have partners. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart at ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash cardiac consult podcast.